forward on this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Garland Pepper Presents podcast. Today, my guest is Jacqueline Way. And Jacqueline is a beautiful soul, a beautiful human being. And uh, she, she teaches people how to give. Um, she has an organization, a charitable organization called 365 Give, and it's a worldwide organization. I participated in a couple of her events uh, on Clubhouse, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And giving, as she explains it, is, is so much more than how a lot of people think about giving. There is time, there is energy, there's focus, there's the grace that you give to others. But there is also the needs out there, and there are many for for gifts in this world and Jacqueline has is is done this mainly as a, a a way to teach her children is how this began and so we'll hear that story today um but what I'd like to do and as y'all know on Garland Pepper Presents I like to get to people's backstory find out a little bit who they are and how they got to where they are um it's it's always uh, for me it's interesting to know where people came from so Jacqueline, welcome to the Garland Pepper Presents podcast. How are you today? I'm so good. It's so good to be here with you, Gary. This is uh, such an honor for me and um, such a gift that we're going to get some time together today. Yeah, yeah. So we've known each other for well, probably about a year now, I would say. Mm-hmm. So um, you're, you're, you grew up, are you Canadian by birth? Is that... I am. I was born in a little town called London, Ontario, uh, which is just a few hours outside of Toronto. So Toronto. So uh, you were a kind of a Midwesterner. I was. It's kind of middle Canada. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly yeah. it. A little different than a middle America, but it's yeah, it's middle Canada. And it was a small town, just about 250,000 people. And, you know, it gave us that that ability to, you know, spread our ring wings at a time when your parents let you just roam free in the neighborhood you know be home yeah. by five when you hear the bell and off we went yeah yeah you hit the ground running every morning and, and just go out and explore the world Absolutely. that's how we grew up and it's it's interesting watching these these younger people grow up with a very different world mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I, I try to do the same with my children we chose a neighborhood in now vancouver canada where i live that's that's really safe and and they have that freedom if they choose you know to go out and and explore the world. You know, the difference is too, is they can have phones in their hands. So you always know where they are, <laughs> or trackable. But <laughs> it's true. They are trackable. They um, are trackable, but, but you know, it's that freedom that we need as, we need as a kid, you know, you have to you, go to our neighbors and we ride do. our bikes around the neighborhood. And yeah. For us, go down to the beach and, you know, and, and hang out. My grandson's three and uh, it's the first boy in the energy in the family. So we had daughters and and it's just different energy and and he's it a is. goer he's and he likes the risk he he thrives on it and it drives my daughter crazy you know because he's like running on these rocks and you know there's a little bit of a fall that he could hit and he could hit the rocks you know all of this stuff and it's just like it's part of it it's part of growing just you know don't don't shelter it too much because yeah. you know that's where all the balance comes from that's where all the energetic greatness of humans comes from you know pressing up against these boundaries 
Absolutely. Listen, I had my first son um, and I am a mom of three adoptive boys and my first son was like that. And today does things like oh, backflips on his mountain bike and crazy jumps snowboarding that when I watch, I just want to cringe, but it's because I gave him that freedom when he was a kid. Right. And that freedom to spread his wings and fall down and hurt himself. And he fall down, he falls down a lot right now. And the hurts are way bigger and usually get usually hospitalized. Um, But that's part of the lesson, right? That's part of how you make your choices. And if you don't get hurt, then you're just in this protective little bubble. And I think that's how I grew up as well, is that I had parents that said, go out, you know, fall down, uh, get hurt, you know, do backflips off the diving board into the pool, because that's the way, you know, you learn to fly. And I was really blessed that way. You know, I, I think I'm probably one of the kids, my parents were divorced when I was pretty young, I was nine. And And surprisingly, I didn't live with my mom. I chose to live with a father who had never raised his kids before. And it was the beautiful benefit of having a parent who was not a helicopter parent. He was busy. He had a full-on career. He was a very well-known doctor. Uh And he didn't have time. He was gone from eight in the morning till, you know, seven o'clock at night. And we were supposed to figure it out. And we had a lot of responsibilities. And Then I had a mother who at a time became a massage therapist and an NLP trainer at a time where massage therapy was still considered woo-woo. Right. And so I had this beautiful balance between like a hardcore workaholic father and a mother who was saying, you know, from in, in the way I'm going to be happy in my life, I've got to go. And so it was, it was amazing. You know, the lessons that I got were phenomenal because of their divorce. You know, I'm probably one of the only people that say I'm so happy my parents got divorced when I was younger because I got to experience two sides of a world that were honestly about figure life out for yourself. I'm not going to spoon feed you and you need to go see what works for you. And I'll just be there to catch you if you fall really hard. Yeah. 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 But otherwise go do it. Yeah. <laughs> the challenge of too many borders in a paint by number life, right? Is oh. is that once people get, you know, out in the real world when, hey, you're supposed to put your own paint on the palette here. You're supposed to put your own paint on the page. And and they don't know how because yeah. all they've known how to do is what other people have told them to do. Yeah. And um, yeah, completely. So yeah, when you start to bump against your own edges, and that's really the thing, is right. Uh, we are phenomenal, you know, creatures, these human beings. And so you see these kids like your son who go out and just see how expansive they can get physically, which is, mm-hmm. you know, a spiritual experience in itself um, is, is just like amazing. I mean, people are stretching the limits, you know, mm-hmm. everybody always goes back to the Roger Bannister, you know, thing with the four minute mile, but you know, that's um, they're, they're doing that all over the place. Now um, yeah. the limits of human capacity for thinking, for uh, physical endurance, for, you know, it, it, it's, it's boggling and we keep stretching it. Mm-hmm. It's very malleable. Yeah. Well, you know, it's that great example. And yesterday, uh, I don't know if you saw this in the news or not, um, but they had their first um, insight into the new part of our galaxy. And it was a project that was landed in the U.S. I'm just going to get the name of it, the James Webb 
Space Telescope. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting to look at. And I, uh, you know, Gary, you know me enough that I believe in an expansive universe that um, goes well beyond the limits of our physical capability. And the really interesting parallel between this and this telescope that has their first images of galaxies that they can now capture. And, and I don't know the numbers for sure, but it's something like, you know, 500 billion light years away from us. And it's the first time the human eye has ever been able to experience it. So as you and I look out into the dark sky where there seems like there was absolutely nothing when we look up with it, look up at the night and that space between only the stars that we can see, but within that space, they can now see there's galaxies and galaxies and billions of stars beyond what we were capable of seeing. And isn't that true for our lives in general? Is that we are only capable of viewing or seeing what we allow, you know, through our sensory perception, when really there's so much there beyond. That is, that is so true. There, people are sitting amongst resources all the time that they really have no idea are there. They don't know how to access them. Mm -hmm. They don't even know they exist really, you know, and that's that, I forget there's a, there's actually a psychological term for it, but like when you buy a new car and then all of a sudden you're like, I thought this car was kind of rare, but now I'm seeing them everywhere. And then you can't help but seeing them. So then you eliminate just the color. You're like, well, I'm the, you know, I've got this color one. And then all of a sudden everybody starts getting that color. You're like, wow, I'm unique, just like everybody else. And, but that, (laughs) but that recognition, that's what we're talking about is that recognition of things we don't see. And it's really hard to see things we don't see Mm -hmm. uh, without somebody saying, Hey, look over there. You see that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Take a look at this. Take a look at yourself from this perspective. You know, take a look at that from a different perspective. Slow down and look at it. Speed up and look at it. Absolutely. You know, get higher and look down on it. Get below it and see how it's all put together. I mean, that's the I, I think that's what we're here for. I think we're here to gain perspective. And as yeah. many different ones as possible, right? Yeah. And as once- simple as turn your cheek the other way, right? Mm-hmm. The biblical term, turn your cheek, turn turn your other cheek. And it's true because the minute you turn your head and look at something else is the minute your perspective changes. Because on this side of the tracks, you could see devastation and you could see potentially poverty, you could see human suffering, and you could literally look on the other side of the tracks and all of a sudden you have an ocean view, right? You can see the birds flying out on a blue sky. You could see flowers in your garden. And it's as simple as turning your head the other way. Oh yeah, and it's as simple as walking from one conversation to another. Mm-hmm. You can be in the same. As we know, <laughs> right? I mean, you can be you can be from in in the same day, same perfect environment, and this group of people are over here talking, and this people are over there, and you know both of them. Mm-hmm. One of them is going to be like they they their whole energetic reality is based upon fear, and so they're going to be trauma dumping. Mm-hmm. They're going to be telling you um, the drama of the stories of their day. And how so-and-so was this, that, and the other about whatever. And then the other one's going to be like the things that they did today that were magnificent 
the things that are really challenging, but they're having a good time getting over it. It's um, the same, same two conversations, same restaurant, same perfect day, two different worlds. Absolutely. And, and so I get tired when I'm around people who are just, you know, the news is always negative. You bring up a thing, but there's always the other thing. You know, I'm aware of, of the dichotomy of the world. You know, I, I, I get it, but I don't have to look at it because if I'm looking at it, then I'm in it. I like to go where I'm looking and I'm looking for a positive world. Absolutely. I agree with that one. <laughs> yeah. So you, so you grew up, what was the name of the town again? London, Ontario. London, Ontario. London, Ontario. And you said it was very small, like. Yeah, about 250,000 people. Oh, that's not too small. I mean, that's enough to have everything. You we need. had a mall. Yes. You had a mall. <laughs> so were you one of the mall girls? Were you, did you have your uh, Duran Duran haircut? No, no, no. I was a little more physically active than that. You know, did I have my moments? Sure. Um, uh, but no, I, I wasn't, I wasn't that, I wasn't that girl. Uh, you know, I was the girl that grew up as the tomboy. Yeah. Until I realized that boys were, you know, kind of a fun thing to play with. Um, oh, and, uh, and yeah, and I, and I stayed there. I didn't stay too long, you know, by 19, I was, I finished high school early. I moved out early, all of those things. Um, and, and I kind of got out of Dodge, you know, small towns are interesting because either you stay in that bubble for your life and right. you never move out, you know, right. and you do what your parents do. You marry your high school sweetheart or your university person and you stay there and you do the same thing and right. the remarkable thing about it and you know the gift of Facebook these days is you can see so many people <coughs> that stayed there that are just I, it just boggles my mind they never left right um but They're I was out pretty quickly now and the, what, what school principals they're all know. the things right yeah, yeah all the, all the things that were there workers, they're they're now uh, the, the new ones yeah, completely. And and listen, nothing wrong with it. I was just the more, you know, let's take, let's be a little bit more daring. Let's move to the bigger city. You know, Toronto is like a Chicago. Uh, yeah. So, so it's the big city and, you know, I, and I made my way on my own. I, I, um, you know, I worked in retail for a number of years, but with all the jobs that I had, it was get the job, become management, get the job, become management. And, um, and then I worked for a boys club. Um, a store called Harry Rosen's, which is a very famous men's clothing store, high-end men's clothing store. And so I worked in the ultimate boys club, really rich, surrounded by really rich men all the time. Um, and, uh, and I realized that those kind of atmospheres and a nine to five and a, had to do what I was told was just not my kind of job. And yeah. so very early on, I, I got out and I started my own business um, in the, uh, in the special events world. And it led me very quickly into the philanthropic world. Um, and I started raising money, um, through special events. So those high-end golf tournaments and those black tie dinners. And because of, you know, you can always say fluke circumstances, fluke circumstances. And you and I, we don't say that, you know, we know that things are all divine timing. Oh. And the beautiful divine timing stories I, I could tell you about how my business started 
um, are remarkable, but uh, I ended up starting this business. I ended up with billionaire clients who that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to raise money, use their client base, raise money for different charities that they cared about. It was good for their profile, but most of all, it was great for charities. Uh-huh. Um, so over the course of that business, I raised uh, well over $10 million, spent thousands and thousands of hours, both volunteering, also making money from what I did. Um, really, my passion was was in the world of food insecurity. And I, I sat on the board of directors for a charitable organization for a lot of years that um, fed the homeless. And uh, so that's really my my heart just kept going. You know what? I don't have a million dollars to give but I can use my skills and my abilities to really make a big difference in this world. So that's what I did for a long time. So did you do that years. in Toronto for a while? I did. And move I out? did it. Yeah, I did it in Toronto uh, for almost 15 years. Mm-hmm. And then my husband and I decided um, that we were going to move out to out west, out to Vancouver, where we wanted to start our family. And um, so we made that move one year and very shortly afterwards, um, I became a mom and we adopted our first son. And it's really interesting going through the adoption process in a very different process, obviously, than getting pregnant and having a baby. Um, but the great thing about the adoption process is it takes you through a rigorous um, questionnaire period. You, you know, you do a Q&A as a couple, you do Q&A individually. They ask you so many questions to get to know who you are and what your thoughts are of a parent, but it gives you a lot of great clarity on what's important to you and what's going to be important to you as a parent. I actually wish every parent went through this process just to become really clear on your beliefs individually and then your beliefs as a couple um, on what parenting means to you and what's important to you. And through that process, there's one question that I could never shake. And the the question was, what are your expectations for your children? And it was really interesting because my husband's and mine was the one place we were very different. And my husband was pretty traditional, you know, get a good education, go to university, get the job, you know, all the kind of typical paths you would expect of your children to take um, with the hope they have a good life. Mm-hmm. Um, and mine was different. Mine was, I want my children to be kind, compassionate, loving little human beings. And that was my expectation. But within that expectation, it was also my expectation of myself that I taught that to my children, that I somehow incorporated it into their lives so that, um, so that they could grow and become those people. You know, we have to learn our ABCs as children, and we also have to really foster that compassionate, loving, caring side, um, not only for ourselves, but for other human beings and and parts of the world. And even at that time, when I had my first son, you know, looked out at the big world, it was a bit of a scary place to be bringing a child into. Yeah. That's when climate change had really just started for us. And, you know world hunger problems and war and so many things that you can just go out and say, oh my God, what am I bringing this child into? Right. And what can I continue to do in my own life to try and create a better world for my own kids and for all the children of the world? Yeah. And yeah, and so that's, that's what I went into parenting with. And, you know, my son, uh, you know, the, the adoption process is so remarkably stressful. Um, and the waiting and you never know you know it could be five minutes till you get the call from your social worker to say you're going to be a parent and it could be 10 years and so I had to really 
stand in a knowing that it was going to happen exactly as that should for us. And there was no doubt in my mind I was going to be a parent at all, like zero doubt. Mm -hmm. um, I was very clear it was going to happen for me. And so it did. It happened literally, uh, my husband and I, from the time we started our adoption process um, to the time my son came home, it was exactly his gestation period, eight and a half months. Um, and we were very, very blessed to bring a beautiful little baby home. He was just 11 weeks old. Wow. Uh, and you know that parenting changes your world forever it really you does know, it does and and that experience of holding your child in your arms for the first time mm -hmm. and you know for me the experience of and this is where it's a little different for an adoptive parent you know for people that uh, have the ability to give birth to a child you know you have that time to um grow with your child you know and grow your feelings and and for us it's just it's literally one day you're a parent and one day you're not a parent and the next day you are and here's yeah. your kid right here you go yeah here you go figure it out love them forever mm -hmm. and and i think that was the the most remarkable experience for me that taught me about unconditional love for another human being you know yeah. we when you adopt it's sight unseen it's here here's the paperwork sign your life away to this child and then you get to meet them. Right. Uh, and so, you know, when you meet your child for the first time, there was, it, it was completely and totally unconditional love forever. And that taught me my capacity for love, which I never really knew. And as much as I love my husband very much and, and loved him when I married him, it's different when it's a child. You know, this yeah. is absolutely unconditional forever, no doubt. And, and then you realize, what we're capable of. And that's the beautiful thing you and I were talking about earlier was our capacity and ability is so much more than what we can see. Right. And believe in ourselves sometimes. But well, when we you have move these, from we have these boundaries that we don't even know we have. Right. Completely. Right. So yesterday my daughter and, and my granddaughter are doing a breath holding contest. <laughs> We've done those. Yeah. So I was really good at it when I was younger. So I, I, I mean, like really good at it, like seven minutes good at it, which is nothing now. The seals are doing like, I think they're up to 17 minutes, 20 minutes, something like that. They're really stretching it right now. Um, but so what I did was while, so she had get, been getting to 45 seconds consistently, like three times, 45 seconds, boom, up. Wow. And she was beating everybody else because, you know, my, my daughter's going like 30 seconds. Oh, my God, I just got bored. You know, whatever. But, when, you know, when, when the other one's beating her, she's like started, they, they started a little more competition. So um, I start counting before a minute, just letting her know she's getting, I said, you're getting close to a minute because she can hear, you know, under the water. So you're getting close to a minute. And I said that at about 45 so she wasn't really that close. And I said, no, you're getting closer. You're getting closer. And then, and I kept doing that. And then at a minute, I started counting down to from 10. So she ended up going a minute and 11 seconds. Love it. Because her goal was a minute. But the fact of the matter was she could go a minute 11. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's an amazing man. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but Wim Hof and yeah. 
he has a, a phenomenal app that you can use. It's his med kind of meditation app. And it, um, it's all about breathing and holding your breath and how far you can go. And he has this kind of timer that you do with it. Uh -huh. And the goal each time is, is how long can you hold the breath for? And mm -hmm. it's a really fascinating. And I was able to get up to three minutes. And I remember it was the same idea that the first few times you did it and it was like, wow, you know, I got to a minute and then you're like pressing the timer going, okay, I can't do it any longer. Yeah, yeah. But it's exactly that, right? Your capacity to go far beyond what we thought, you know, what we think we can do is amazing. And that's what I love about my first adoption process is it taught me that about love. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's been the greatest understanding of my lifetime. Because I think when we begin to remember and understand um, our own, not only physical, but beyond physical capacity for love, mm -hmm. um, it changes the way that you look at the world. And that goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning is it when you know when you start to look at the world through the lens of love versus the lens of fear or hate, the whole world looks different to you. Yes. And that's the that was. That's really now when I can stand back far enough from it, that's really what I wanted to teach my children was how could I help them understand that capacity we all have for love. Um, and when you begin to teach them about giving and how simple giving can be, how we can help give to each other or give back to the planet, give um, to animals. And it has to be, you know, this is, I started a, this family project with my first son when he was three years old. So giving had to be so simple, a three-year-old could do it. Mm -hmm. And when you, a three-year-old can do it, people begin to understand that it's possible for anyone, mm -hmm. right? That yes. giving doesn't have to be about giving millions of dollars. It doesn't have to be about volunteering thousands of hours of your time. But giving is how you show up in the world every single day of your life. And that we can do simple things every day to grow our capacity for love grow our capacity to not only give love, but when we give love, it innately comes right back to us. And that's the beautiful thing about giving that people don't understand. And again, this goes back to what we were talking about when people begin to understand or look at concepts differently, you then realize that we can benefit ourselves, help ourselves in ways we didn't even imagine. And that's the beautiful part about giving back to the real world is that we have this beautiful common thread that runs through every single human being. And it's the positive effects. It's actually called the helper's high, which happens. The helper's. The helper's high. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's been called the helper's high or the, or the giver's glow is another term they use for it. And this beautiful chemical reaction happens in every single human being when you give. And it doesn't matter if you hold the door open for someone or if you give a million dollars the same chemical reaction happens in your body when you give. And I call it your daily dose of happiness. And dose is an acronym that stands for dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and your endorphins. And this is this beautiful both um, hormonal and neurochemical uh, reaction that happens in our brains and our bodies. And each one of them creates a positive effect in your body. So dopamine is one of these new kind of terms we've been talking about um, lately you hear this a lot in the news and dopamine is our reward system. So when you go in, for example, um, let's do it in regards to somebody crossing a finish line when you're, a, you're an Olympian 
And when you cross the, the finish line, you're getting a dopamine hit, that reward system that makes your arms go up in the air and you're crossing the finish line. That's a dopamine hit. Um, and it's innately part of our reward system in our body. So when you give, you're automatically getting this reward that happens every time you give. Oxytocin, I mean, this is the perfect, this is our love hormone. You know, people say when you, you know, have your first kiss or when you're hugging somebody, your oxytocin gets fired and wired. The neat thing about oxytocin they're discovering now as well is it's actually um, like a natural fountain of youth for yourself. Um, and oxytocin um, helps us live longer. Um, it reduces our cortisol, which is our stress hormone uh, at the same time. Um, so oxytocin is a big part of this. This is why after you know, giving every day with my son for 365 days, um, I innately realized it was my practice of love every day. And serotonin is our, in a, serotonin is our body's happy transmitter. Um, it makes us feel happier, more joy in our life. And our endorphins um, is like the runner's high. Um, it's like going out and exercising and you feel that extra boost of energy. And it's pretty incredible that when we give small or big, that all of this fires and wires in our body. It doesn't matter where you live, your cultural background, what religion you practice, nothing. It doesn't matter your age. This natural reaction happens in our body, which to me is just mind blowing that we were built to give. It is innately part of who, who every human being is in this world so that you can feel good, you can live longer, it decreases your stress, it boosts your immune system, it increases your well-being, it increases your mental health, your physical health. All of this goes on without any drug, without any prescription medicine. It's literally our natural prescription for happiness and health in our life. Is just going out and giving every day. And so it's a beautiful practice um, that I started with my son when we were three that has now turned into a global giving movement um, that we're really, really proud of. And uh, we continue to know that this is the significance that every person can make in their own life every day. So 365 Give, what are the manifestations um, that you've seen? Like what have people, what do people give? Mm, oh, um, wow. Well, you know, we do it a little differently than we, we track it a little differently than how a lot of people um, do. And so we, we track it in, in different categories. So when you're talking about random acts of kindness, it's what makes it a, makes us a little different than random acts of kindness is first of all, we're not random. We actually really um, want people to create an intentional practice every day. It's like a meditation practice or a physical um, health practice where you go out and you work out is we want their giving to be intentional. We want it to be mindful uh, and we want it to be a practice that people do every day. And instead of just giving to people or being kind to other people, we say, you know what, make it, make it anything in our world. Be, you know, go out and give to animals, you know, support. One of our favorite things to do in our family is we have a a local animal shelter near our house. So we donate our towels, our blankets. We will, you know, um, for birthday parties, my kids will ask everybody to bring a donation um, that we will then go down and donate to the shelter. We can go down, uh, now COVID is over, we can go back down and spend time with the cats and volunteer our time to go play with them and cuddle with them. Um, so that's one of the things that we do to help animals. Um, you know, for the planet, that's an easy one. I mean, everyone can go out and give to the planet right now. That's as simple as every time you go out walking, 
bring a plastic bag and pick up some garbage as you go. Um, make sure that you're recycling everything that you can. Set up that compost or use your compost system if that's, you know, we're very blessed here in, in British Columbia that we can recycle almost everything now. Um, we can compost everything, but if not, set up that own system for your own house. And how can you do that in a way if it takes a little more time and effort that you have to go down to a depot, we do that. Um, where we take a lot of our recycling, they won't pick up and we'll take it down to the depot and do that. But that goes for other things as well. Are you donating the things that you don't need? Um, are you getting your clothes that you no longer use? Are you getting them to your local Salvation Army store or another place that you can donate your clothes? These are the basic common things that we're seeing every day from people. And then you get into how can I help others? I mean, People, we talk about this all the time. How can you take that time? Send somebody a note of gratitude. It takes us all two minutes in our day that every day you could send one person in your life a slight note of gratitude. Wish them a good day. Send them a virtual hug. Hold the door open for somebody. Buy them a coffee. You know, feed a, feed a homeless person on the street. And these are the small, simple things that we see every day happening all over the world when people are sharing their stories with us. And we see a lot of similar and same stories. It's not so different whether you live in Canada or you live in uh, France or England or the UK or Australia. And we see these similar stories that people are doing all over the world. Mm -hmm. But what we know is that with every person and every time you give, it ripples to three more people. Right. And so every time we see that, we see the paradigm shift happening in our world. If everybody showed up and did one small act of giving every day times seven billion people, our yeah. world would change in one day. In one day, it would change. That's pretty amazing. And the cool thing is, is it's not only going to change that all of a sudden the climate's going to change. It changes because we we're beginning to change ourselves. We become happier. We become more loving. And then that affects everyone around us. So giving is that twofold is not only are you helping the world, the planet, animals, but you're helping yourself, which in turn affects everyone around you. Yeah. 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 Giving, um, you know, I, I give in a lot of different ways. I don't I don't have cash. Yeah. Um, no, but, neither do I. <laughs> but, but I do. I do give a lot of time uh, to different organizations that I believe in, uh, give them my time and energy and, and help with, you know, their organizations. Um, and, you know, just being a father, that's a, a big giving thing. Absolutely. You know, Gary, you and I having this time together yeah. is a huge gift today, right? Because you're sharing messages with the world that make a difference, right? And that every time yeah. we can touch yeah. one person, right? The endless hours you and I have spent on Clubhouse, talking about things that are really bring awareness and consciousness and yeah. paranoia, right? All of the things that you and I talk about, those impact others. And when we're taking that time in our own life to impact others in a positive way, that's the ripple right there. Yeah. And the beauty of, of kind of the, the nice thing about clubhouse is, is you can lead, follow, you can stay out of the way. You can just kind mm -hmm. of watch. Um, you know, so I like being able to do all of those positions. Um, one of the things that's interesting about leader leadership is that once you get into leading a space, you actually learn more because you really have to kind of study up and mm -hmm. be mindful when you're on. And, and it's, it's not easy to lead. And present. <laughs> right? yeah. Really present. You have to present. listen. Yeah. 
and and it's not easy. So I have some ADD stuff going on. So sometimes the listening is just like, oh crap, I was over there while they were saying something. So I start doing the rewind. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Connect some points. Okay, yeah, that's right. Okay, and that's what actually took me to that other thing. You know, it's like they said something that took you somewhere else, and so then you're like coming back, and you're like, okay, now. But it's very important that that you listen, and especially in well, in all situations, really, you know, be observant, and so listen and watch, know the space, and know whether or not your influence is needed in that space at this moment in time. I think that's probably one of the most respectful things we can do is be like, wait till the time is right. Mm -hmm. I agree. But isn't that what most people want in this world? They just want to be seen and heard, right? And to allow that space for others so they feel seen and heard Mm -hmm. right there, that changes life. And taking that time and allowing for that time Mm -hmm. for others um, to feel as though somebody has today heard what they needed to say. Um, And it's, you know, I think that alone, if we took more time to do that, um, would make a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've gotten better at listening over the years. I used to not be very good at all. And I'm still not great. but it is so important and I'm finding, I find so much more value in just observing and not responding. So, I, you know, that's one of the things is, is that I've been looking at lately is slow thinking versus fast thinking. You know, fast thinking is our pre-program. It's, it's the stuff we're just ready to do. It's our judgments that are pre-made and it's easy to go there. We know how to get there. Um, it's, it's an easy road. And if it's an argument that we've won 50 times, it's one we can throw out again, whether or not we consider that it's true or not, or is it really just shutting people down, but whatever it works, you know? So you keep doing it. And I, I find that now, and it's actually through Clubhouse is I've just, cause you have to sit and listen. And so I just found that, that it's getting better. I am listening better. And I'm knowing whether or not I even want to engage. It's like, yeah, nothing I can say here is going to influence this situation in a way that would be favorable to me at this point. So saying nothing is better, walking away may be best. <laughs> not going to stay at this table. It's, it's, a, it's a good lesson and it's a good practice. You know, I think it's one of the things that, um, you know, we know about our mental health and our well-being um, and our peace of mind is that it's all a practice. And I think that that ancient tradition of practice in a day um, has gotten so lost because life has gotten so fast, you know, and we forgot to sit ourselves down and practice what's best for us. And, and yeah, so I agree with all of that. I think if we all went to choosing one or two healthy practices every day, and if that's just being aware of what we're putting into our mouth, if that's a practice of giving, if it's a meditation practice, it's a yoga practice, whatever the things are that work for you, walking out in nature, we know all of these, these practices that, um, that we talk about often. If everybody just took that time 
took 10 minutes out of their day every day to yeah. do one or two practices that they could incorporate into our lives. You know, we have hours to sit and flip, but most people don't have 10 minutes in their day to find the practices that are actually going to increase their health and well-being. Right, right. You know, and then the way I think of practices is they basically help you set a thermostat. Completely, right. You know, uh, if it's writing, if it's meditation, if it's yoga, Gratitude, it's doing gratitude, gratitude right? yeah, if it's doing <laughs> gratitude, I find gratitude to be very effective uh, mm -hmm. for setting the bar for the day, because if I've set it, if I've set my energy state towards looking at gratitude, which is a conscious thing you do, you, 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 you look around your universe and go, wow, I'm grateful for this. And so as the day goes on, something at some point maybe twists you the wrong way and you're out of gratitude you're like okay so why am i out of gratitude so it, it gives you this uh kind of a reset you know just like a thermostat does where it's Absolutely. okay why am i out of gratitude what's going on and um why why am i feeling these feelings it's because those feelings are now apparent as opposed to just part of the melee of feelings you're feeling all day long now they're they're singled out because they're not in gratitude. It's like, oh, okay, you're, you're being an ungrateful douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think it's with all these practices is that, you know, when you, I love that way you've put it is, you know, the set point, it's our set point for feeling good or feeling better, feeling happy. Right. And when you practice that set point, a set point of happiness for yourself, that anything lower than that set point doesn't feel so good and you become blatantly aware of it very quickly yeah. and you go no no i don't want to feel like this i want to feel better right. i like that happiness feeling happiness kind of feels good right yeah. <laughs> that underlining vibration of happiness in it's me it's good that's good i, li I yeah. like that like right that. it does and so the moment you step off of that happiness feeling yeah. that set point of you know and i'm not talking about excitement overjoyed bouncing off the walls just happy right right it's that nice you know your mind's not going crazy we're not going down the drain all of those all of that goodness you know and so i think that's what it is and then you fall off that set point and you go oh no i want that i want the happiness back and so now you know your practice that will help you get through there Right? right. And you can turn around and you go, no, this feels better. I'm going that way because I like the road that that happy feels good. I'm going down that road versus the not not feeling so good road. Right. And the same thing happens for any of those practices, really. So like when you're doing them, like let's say you're exercising daily, you finally decide mm -hmm. you're going to exercise daily and then something happens and you have that one day. And you're, you're you're the difference when you are a person who's exercising daily and you don't exercise that you one day, exercise. you just feel like a slug, like the whole day you're just like, I feel like mud, <laughs> I mean, you know? Um, yeah. And, and, and you think eating. about it and you think about it. Yeah. Right. And with eating, so you set your bar high on eating, you're eating good, fresh food all the time. And then you're like, okay, I really want some chicken McNuggets. And you yeah. haven't had anything processed in like four months. Your body, <laughs> your body will go, what are you doing? Absolutely. Stop. Yeah. Screams at you. <laughs> Yeah, and that's this. I mean, that's setting these bars. That's these. That's these practices that we do um, by having a practice. So gratitude's been my root practice for the last year, mm -hmm. two years, really, almost. Um, 
and um and that's been good because then it's leading to all these other better practices exactly right yeah and that's exactly it does and as soon as you choose that one path yeah. all of the other paths start to light up for you right and so this right. goes back to that seeing more of the path seeing more Absolutely. options seeing the the reality as you know the cup half full thing i mean it's it's an overused thing but there is there is a thing to that i mean it is how you're looking at it. Uh, it well, hey, you bring me a half a cup of water. It's like, oh, cool, half a cup of water. That means <laughs> I can add the other half with vodka. Exactly. <laughs> and now we're talking. <laughs> well, you know, it was interesting when I started this giving habit with my son, you know, for the first little while. And, and you know, most people don't realize this. You know, everyone hears 21 days, you know, 21 day habit, you know, to get you on track, yeah. the actual average for, and they've done research, there's lots of studies on this. The average person takes actually 66 days to form a new habit. Yeah. Okay? Um, so it's not 21 days. That's kind of a marketing myth because 66 days seems like a long time for most people. Now, some people it's a little less, some people it's a little more 66 days is kind of the average. But what I came to realize as soon as I started my kind of daily giving habit and people um, asked me about this is, you know, how did you keep it going? And I realized that, you know, for the first little while, I kind of had a list. I'd plan out the list for the week. So I, I knew where I needed to go. I had a bit of some a direction. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't need to do it anymore because my brain automatically started looking for opportunities to give. Wherever we went, I mean, we're all out and about in the world. My brain would just automatically start looking for those opportunities. So if I was going for a walk, automatically I would see garbage automatically I would see garbage like it was it's right, simple right. it's I, just I part couldn't of what we do I can no longer walk past garbage without picking it up like it's right. just that's me um and so I can't do that anymore or it's the same where um you know if I pass a homeless person on the street I mean my kids we were just in Toronto actually I don't live in an area right now where we have homeless people in our streets in uh -huh. the area we live but when we went to Toronto Tons of them. Every I actually ended up having to go and get loonies and toonies because my kids would not pass a homeless person without giving them money. So we were it's like every person, which was amazing to me that my children were like, money, we cannot go without helping them. Right. You know, which was amazing to me that automatically they're programmed now to see the same thing, that mm -hmm. they see a problem in the world and they want to help. They want to help where they can. Yeah. Um, and so that's the really neat thing that we saw. And, and what you're talking about now is that when we started that giving habit, it's automatic for me. There's not a day that goes by. Like, I don't even even recognize that I'm doing it most days. But I, I am my brain is trained to look for whatever needs to wherever the help needs to go. I see uh -huh. it. It just comes. My brain's looking for it without me even realizing it. It's like there's this program going on in my head that's right. just trained now it's it's my giving pathway and that I strengthened it so much that it's always there it just shows up the opportunity is yeah. always there I don't have to plan anything anymore so the 66 days I'm thinking about what happens when people are are going into habits um mm -hmm. yeah it seems like it's a continuous negotiation um toward status quo right like I'm trying to form a new habit I'm trying to form a new habit I've been trying to you know be a writer like every day for years and and you know i, I, I tried that never, one it never works yeah. <laughs> it never it never works out you know i open up the journal the one i call journal yeah. and it's like oh that was six months ago was my last entry and um 
so you know maybe that's not the mode but it is a mode for me to communicate in other ways because i do type a lot but journaling maybe not so much um but for me uh definitely sharing gratitude is is part of 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 my daily practice um i do miss it on some days but i i, I don't it's like you said like even though you're not officially on a giving mission today you're going to see something where you're going to you're going to give oh, right or you for you right i mean i know i do this with gratitude as well i will it will be as simple as i'm out in the garden cutting the grass yeah and i'm like oh look at those flowers like just yeah. oh, the yeah. miracle right or the hummingbird that flies into my yard or whatever it is and i i'm just in i'm in awe right yeah. and and in gratitude because again, you've programmed your, you know, people forget that our brain is this muscle, right? Right. And it's like anything, it's all programmable, right? Most people don't realize right. this. And it was something with an underlying I, operating system based in survival. Completely, right? Right. Uh, but we have all these pathways in our brain. They're like little roads. If you actually looked up, you know, information about um, your brain, our brain has these little neural pathways and they're like little roads in our brain. Mm -hmm. And what we now know is that those roads can be programmed. So it's just like, if you saw, I wish I, I wish I need to have this when I do this, not that people can see it. Um, but think of a computer program chip or the board that's in your computer. And you can actually see all these little lines that are connected between the program on your computer board. And our brains are exactly like that. Our brains almost look like a, a spider's web. Yeah. with all these little roads and pathways and those can all be programmed and changed and those pathways can be created in our brains and you can create new pathways in your brains as well so for example for gratitude or giving or let's say it's meditation or exercise you can create these automatic pathways in your brain that take you there yeah. every time so it's like your abcs think about when you're younger right you don't know your abcs when you're three but as you start practicing them, this pathway, this road in your brain gets built so that now, I, you know, I know my ABCs from A to Z without even, we say, without even thinking about it, because right. I've built this road, this pathway in my brain that has practiced it so many times, it just automatically does it. It's like driving a car, riding a bike, all programmed in your head already, right? We mm -hmm. don't forget it. Even if you haven't ridden a bike in a year, you yeah. can get on a bike as long as you know how to do it. You can get back on that bike and you can go. Right. And so that's like for all of these practices that we have, even if we fall off the road or fall off the path, we can get back on. And that muscle memory in our brain is still there. And you can get back on that path with a little bit of practicing. And or even if it's not a written list, like you say, with gratitude, writing it in your journal, mm -hmm. it, your brain automatically goes there because you have practiced it so much. Right. Yeah, right. You've already created that that book in your head, right? The pathway in your brain that's automatically mm -hmm. going to go there for you. So it's the same with a bad habit. Let's say you're a smoker, yeah. right? Uh, it's not only just the nicotine. So if you're a smoker and, um, you know, the nicotine itself will actually only take a few days to get out of your body, um, which will be good. Uh, so that, that will actually stop um, pretty quickly. But the problem is, is that you've created these habits. So you have a cigarette after dinner, you have one with your coffee, you have one when you get into the car, you've mm -hmm. programmed your brain for times all during the day when you automatically pick up a cigarette and have it. Right. So that's the programming that's hard to get over. Your body will get over the nicotine craving, same with heroin, everything else, but you're in a habit. 
a program that you've programmed your brain to, to have it at certain points throughout the day. And that's the hardest part to get over. You got to create new pathways that it's a no. It's no Mm -hmm. longer a yes, it's a no. Yeah. Yeah. So you got over smoking, what, a couple years ago? Mm, Just less than a year ago, no. Yeah. Yeah. Tough? Um. Yes and no. Yes and no. Um, physically, it was. Um, but I, I had a mindset for a very specific reason about it. Mm-hmm. Because what I knew is that I couldn't evolve, spiritually evolve as a person until I had literally had mind over matter. And so I think that's for all of us is we have to be able to be in complete control of our minds and understand that and be very present about what's going through our heads all of the time. Yeah. And if we can't control that, then we don't have control over our life. We don't have creative control over what we want to experience in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. We instead are letting the programs in our computerized type brain to control us, how we feel, right. how we experience the world, how we show up. And I didn't want my, I wasn't, I wasn't going to allow my brain to have that kind of power or control over me. So it was actually a step in my spiritual growth um, that took me to that. So when I made that decision, I was already there that it was done. I knew what my life was going to look and feel like once I had gotten over that. Wow. Yeah, that was a spiritual journey for me. That was, that was like the Buddhist monk that sits on the hill and has chosen a way of life and a way to be. That was my next step of my evolution on how I wanted to be in the world. And I knew that was a sticking point, not because of the physicality. It was just because I was letting my mind control something that I needed to be able to control myself. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, Listen, we can say the same about food. You yeah. can say the same about any bad habit we have in our life. Yeah, it, it comes down it's to mind over yourself. it's it's awareness. Yeah, yeah. How exactly that, right? How much do you love yourself? Yeah, and and how much are you? How how long and how much do we want to love this life? I wanted to love my life, right? And the experience I was having here. Mm-hmm. And um, when you've got bad habits, you know you're not fully standing in that experience of who you are. Yeah, well, I have bad habits still, so. Yeah, well, we all listen. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I got lots of bad, you know, I've I've swapped in some ways to, you know, I swapped from one bad habit to, you know, I have to be super uber careful with my food now because it's easy to swap over to other bad food habits for me. That's my other sauce. Yeah. Habit. So did you gain yeah. weight after you lost after Absolutely. You quit smoking? Yeah. 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 So we're just, I'm just now getting, you know, trying to get that one on track, but it's just different because your body, listen your body changes a lot when you, you know, um, give up that bad habit and your body, it takes a long time for your body just to get re-metabolized and balanced again. So I feel like I'm getting there now. Yeah. Yeah. I gained 30 pounds last time I quit smoking. There you go. Yeah. I was, I'm I'm at 10, but I seem to have balanced out there and, um, you know, that and being over 50 does not help any. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, but it's that awareness you're trading one out. Listen, I knew I was trading one out for the other. Yeah. Right. I don't even like chocolate. And I started eating chocolate. Oh, I love chocolate. I <laughs> yeah, love so chocolate yeah. All day long. Um, yeah. So the, uh, 
you know, started swimming. So that, that actually mm -hmm. is so replacements. Yeah. I would, so I, I still smoke, right? I need to quit. And, um, that's actually really big on my list right now. And, and it's for the, actually the reasons you're talking about. Um, I love myself. I really want to be able to, uh, be healthy and, 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 and give for a long time, yeah. um, my gifts, uh, whatever, whatever I'm called to do, mm -hmm. I want to do it. And I want to be able to do that with, with them bigger and vitality. Yeah, no, completely. And completely. Right. And, and for me, a lot was, is what was the, for what I stood for in this world and when mm -hmm. I, how I show up in this world and the 365 give, you know, what was the damage I was doing to the planet? What was the damage I was doing to the animals? What was the damage I was doing to the people? Um, all of those things were part of it for me that went totally and completely against the grain of who I was and how yeah, I show up in this. That's world. the real Buddhist, um, yeah. question is, is, you know, how do we keep the impact of our life, you know, the least harmful, Yeah, yeah. you know, knowing that, that life is suffering and, uh, we all contribute to it in one way or another. And to be able to recognize, you know, basic survival requires that that we kind of, you know, take from this earth. Yeah. And so being mindful of what we take is so important and how much and, and, you know, it goes against the dominion concept that that was built up, you know, in other ways, you know, that, that you have full dominion, everything's under your purvey and, and your right as a human being to just take whatever. Yeah. Um, but the responsible, loving yourself, loving your planet, loving your neighbors concept is to take only as much as you need. Mm, and that's the hard one. And, and, you know, we can go back to that concept of need as well. Yeah. And you know, we need so much less than what we use. And, you know, if you look into one of the books and one of the people you know that I've become good friends with, um, a gentleman by the name of Neil Donald Walsh, who wrote the book, A Conversation with God, mm -hmm. you know, one of his books, and it's called A Communion with God, is about the 10 human illusions. And one of those is need. And when yeah. we can understand it's actually not, you know, especially in the case of bad habits, we're going against what the first human illusion and that is is we need something right mm -hmm. so we need those things that we are all we're doing is we're soothing ourselves right we've created a soother mm -hmm. to somehow soothe something in ourselves that we actually need to heal yeah right and so when we can look at why are we using these um, bad habits as a soother and where do we actually need to do the healing around that soothing um, and I was really clear on what that one was for me. Um, uh -huh. And, you know, and it's those things we can go back to, you know, childhood traumas or, um, you know, uh, ways of dealing and coping when we were younger, potentially. Um, and it was all of that for me. Uh, and so it's how do I become or how do I use the tools that I know that are good for me as a soothing tool differently? Right. Yeah. And, and it's hard. Listen, I'm not saying it's easy. And I'm, you know, well, the things you're talking about are, are talking about going through it. Yeah. And that's it, right? And to, it's, yeah, we, we it's as simple as a breath. It. Right? We want, it's one we breath want a at a pill. time. <laughs> yeah. We want a pill. We want, you know, a nip and a tuck. Yeah. 
yeah. uh, for our lives, for our realities. And, and the fact of the matter is the same thing that's going to stop you tomorrow is the same thing that's stopping you today. Yeah. And it's something in there that you may not more than likely even not even know. Or yeah. if you do know, you don't want to deal with it. And so maybe that's the language problem. So language I've found becomes really critical when going through how we label our reality has a lot to do with how we proceed, how, how we proceed through it. Mm-hmm. So somebody going, oh my God, is there a problem, this problem, that problem, problem, problem. Another person goes, oh, wow, that's a challenge. Mm-hmm. You know, let's, let's, uh, let's see what the root of that is. Mm-hmm. Let's find the root yeah. of that. Let's get at it. Yeah. You know, and, and, oh, you know, you open up the doorway and it's, it's just a big, you know, it's like one of those closets in the cartoons where everything just falls out and you're like, you don't know where to start. And, and, I, and my, my belief is you pick up the first thing that comes to you and you work with that. And once you've, you've worked with that, the next thing will come to you and just keep working with one thing at a time, but don't try to go around it. Don't try to cut and paste. Don't try to, you know, cut it out or, or numb it with some sort of other idea or even hyper positivity lying is, is kind of be like toxic positivity. (laughs) Yeah. Toxic positivity. Yeah. Where, you know, but, but, you know, but you really need to go through it and and actually tell the truth about it. And I guess that's where the, the hyper positivity denies some of the truth. And, and the fact is, no, you've got to see the truth. You've got to go through the truth using the positive attitude to get through it. But you can't just say, oh, that doesn't exist. Huh? You know, it does yeah. because it was put there. And this is yeah. your special task to learn how to get over this thing. Absolutely. Just because to look at it do, and you can be help real about it. Everybody else who has the same fucking problem. Yeah, exactly. As we all do, you know, it's like, it's like when people, you know, talk about, oh, I had such childhood drama. You know, I actually don't know anybody that didn't have some kind of childhood trauma. Oh yeah. It's different versions of it. Same. And, and, but yet we all deal with it differently. Right. Right. And that's the really interesting part about it is, you know, how does one person, you know, not get stuck on the fact they were sexually abused when they were younger and somebody else is so stuck in it they can't move in their life right they're, right? they're stuck in, in, in yeah and so that's that's you know that's always the interesting part is how is one person doing that and how is somebody else not um and that's where we have to really look at ourselves and and say okay so where am i getting stuck in my own life that's um, and why why am i invades right? my life Mm-hmm. why am I stuck with this, this added, you know, certain places where like, okay, why right. am I stuck here? And I keep asking the question and maybe I'm getting the answer. Maybe I'm not listening, but sometimes I'm just not getting the answer. Sometimes we're I'm not, not ready. ready for it. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's the hard part, right? When we talk about our, you know, our brains and our bodies, is we can't bypass our humanness. And that's right. the reality, right? You can't bypass the fact that if you had a trauma when you were younger, um, that it's not still there at a cellular level. You can't forget it. And right. your body has been programmed to feel a certain way about it for a yeah. long time. Right? Yeah. 
And so until you can start somehow feeling differently about it and looking at it differently, yeah. um, you know, it, it, I'll give the, the great example, you know, childhood sexual trauma. I had it in my own childhood. And I was one of those people who had forgotten about it. Like just it left, I, I, I got these little images of it, but that was it. I never actually thought it was real until right. I asked one of my sisters who was part of that little flashback I'd occasionally get. And this was recently, like this was like five years ago. And I said, was that actually real? Did it really happen? And she's like, oh, you finally remembered, you know? And I sat with it for a while and it was interesting because I, I literally went, okay, so I forgot about it for 40 years does it really need to affect my life right now? Do I right. need to go to therapy? Do I need to? And it was an interesting one for me because I had stood back from it for so long. And as much as I felt a little numb about it when it came up, I realized, right. well, I'm not that person. Right. It's not my body. That 10 year old body no longer exists anymore. Right. Like literally not one cell of it. I'm right. not that person there's nothing about that that I should be bringing forward into my life now and re-experiencing that. Right. It's not going to help my family to bring it up. It's not going to do anything to my accuser at this point, like all right. of it. And I went, is this going to positively or negatively affect my life to do something about it? Right. And there was nothing positive that was going to come from my life from now deal, you know, dealing with it. And I realized that I was, far enough away from it that I went, you know what? I'm not my body. That's not who I am underneath right. this shell. That's not who I am. Right. And so I was good with it. And so I put it to peace and that was it. That, that was the end of it. And so realizing that it's not who I am, it was something that may have happened to me, but it's not who I am. Mm -hmm. And in that realization it was, okay, you know what? Stuff can happen to our bodies, but it's not who the core of who we are. Right. And I've been able to separate myself from those parts of my life that there, yes, there are things that happen to our physical selves, but is that define who I am as a, as a, as a person, as a spiritual body? And the answer to me is always no. It's always no. Yeah. So that's our, that's our opportunity to stand away from those things. They say, you know, zoom out far enough. Right. So the past doesn't... you can, yeah. Yeah, you you can you can not not to to let us. it define you. Um, yeah. But what you, what you're talking about though is looking before that we were kind of talking about looking for those to see if there is some sort of behavioral reaction that you have on a on a on a regular mm -hmm. basis and you don't know why it was and then all of a sudden you're like oh now I remember this so these behaviors say maybe you know I don't know some some relationship issues things like that they, they come yeah. up and you're like why and and at least now you have an explanation you're like oh yeah that makes sense you know completely and totally and you know i think that we can look at some of our not so positive habits in our life is where you know when we look back on where it may have originated where are you feeling not enough right so yeah. I know I could go back to a time in my life where I, I just wanted, you know, my parents had split. I wanted nothing but the approval from my older sisters. That was so important to me, that approval from my older, older sisters. Right. And so for me, my bad habits started trying to get approval from my older sisters. And 
I realized how far that carried me through my life that until you feel that sense of I'm enough without anybody else's approval, and that's a hard place to get to, right? Mm-hmm. It's a really hard place to go. I'm enough without anybody and anything having to soothe me or needing that outside approval from other people. And that's, listen, that's a lifelong journey for all of us, right? Well, it's a good starting point. It's yeah. the best starting point. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at people who have, you know, overcome some really big challenges, smoking, um, eating, major eating yeah. and, and exercise uh, disorders and challenges. Yeah. And, and the way that they're approaching it is just through self-love. Like that is yeah. the root from which they approach it all. And as long as they keep coming at it from self-love, they're going to do the right thing. Do I really love myself? Yeah, I love myself. Then maybe I'm not going to eat that thing. Well, Gary, you've heard me say this before, but, you know, I wake up every morning and the first thing I say to myself is if love was an actual person, if if love was a person, what would love think? Mm -hmm. What would love say? And what would love do? And if you go back to that practice alone, that means nothing. You don't have to meditate. You don't have to exercise. Like if you answered that to every choice you made throughout the day, day, just practiced it for one day. What a difference the choices are that you make in your life. You start choosing different things that you put in your body for food and nutrients, right? You choose to stop doing those bad habits because that's not love. Right. Right. It's that simple. That's not love. That's not love for me. And how can we possibly fully love another if that doesn't start with ourselves? Right. Right? And so if every choice we make throughout the day and you could set aside one day just to be aware of every choice that you're doing and how would what would love do? What would love say? You know, all of a sudden your day would be very different. Every choice that you'd make, probably 80% of your choices potentially would be different in your day coming from that place. Yeah. Right. It's true. And then all of a sudden you're putting yourself first because love is your priority. And that includes self-love. That's exactly the truth. And, you know, I, people say, yeah, just tell yourself you love yourself in the mirror. Not so easy. It's not easy. (laughs) It's not easy. It does. Same here. I'm with you. So for me, I make it as a separate entity right a separate person right? yeah and it's not well, about I, me <laughs> yeah well the thing is we never call ourselves by name so yeah. I, I like doing that you know it's, it's almost like third person even though yeah, I'm, yeah. yeah, yeah third know. person I can do I'm great at third person right? yeah yeah so I just yeah, I can you know. give love away right? so I I've been practicing that and I gotta tell you it 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 works it feels goofy you know, but doing affirmations in the, in, you know, Stuart Smalley style in, in the mirror. <laughs> I love myself. I love myself. Yep. It's yep, the Glenn Moshauer, right? Yeah. <laughs> He's the first person to talk about that. You know, who else does that too is Neil Donald Walsh. He yeah. has all of his little reminders right on his mirror. He's the first one to say that. And every day, exact same thing. You know, what's the best, highest version of who I truly am? How am I going to show up as that person today? The yeah. highest, truest version of who I truly am. It's amazing right? how subtly beautiful it is to do that in a day, yeah. to have that as your motive and to mm-hmm. go through the day. And as, as shit comes up, 
it never presents itself as shit, but as fertilizer. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's a lot easier, at least, you know? <laughs> it really <laughs> is. Even, yeah. even when things are like wacky and out of your control. And those are sometimes that happens. Yeah. Um, and even outside of your energy realm, there's a place that I can go to now where the whole world's going crazy around me and I'm like, oh, okay. There's a sense of time and space that slows down and I'm not even really a part of it. It's a disassociative um, reality. And, and, and what's interesting is there's often, it's, occup- it's, it's accompanied with compassion mm-hmm. for, for the madness that I know is there that I, that there's no place to influence at this point that, that, that you're just not going to so you just know and you, you you have compassion for the place that others are in yeah. and that makes it easier it, it really is like yeah. love yeah. but you know and love is sometimes knowing you can't do shit here yeah, yeah. Yeah. sometimes it's just holding that space right holding yeah. the energy energetic space of love yeah and hoping yeah. right so it's this hope and, and compassion and yeah. and judgment just a lot of judgment you know <laughs> <laughs> uh, sarcasm yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> oh man so this has been an amazing conversation i knew it would be was there anything that you um so i always close with love yourself and love your others Mm -hmm. um is there anything that you really just want everybody to know Mm. you know the greatest lesson one of my kids taught me and my boys that i talked about earlier they all have neurodifferences and probably one of the greatest lessons my middle son who really struggles most days, taught me um, is a saying that I try and go by as much as often. And it's the reminder that happiness comes just one smile at a time. Yeah. Moment by moment to create a beautiful life. Mm. And so on the days that are feeling really tough, on the days where we're so dysregulated and dysregulation is just when you're feeling stressed, you're feeling off, you're feeling depressed, you're feeling sad, um, you're feeling um, anxiety, all of those things that we can feel that so many are feeling right now. Mental health is our world's greatest crisis right now. And on those days, just try to find one smile at a time. Find it in a way that works for you. If that means stepping outside and smelling a rose, do that. And do that 20 more times during the day because every smile that you can find, every moment in time, you can find that little drop of happiness and you start stringing them together will be the most beautiful practice that you will have in your life because you'll pull yourself out of where you are you'll start finding and seeing the hope that you talked about, Gary. And from hope, you're on your way to happiness. You're on your way to joy. It's not going to happen all day, every day, but we can create happiness in our own lives. And that's up to us. It's not up to anybody else. It's up to us. 
But you have to find that first smile. And it's the hardest one. But keep keep creating them. When um, you're smiling. Absolutely. When you're smiling, <laughs> the whole world smiles at you. That easy, right? That easy. Isn't it the way it works? And that is the way it works. And yeah. so on the really tough days and when my son's really struggling, that's what we do. We just find our happiness one smile at a time. And by we, by the time we get to smile 36, he's on the other side. Right. His dysregulation, his nervous system is back in check. You know, the trauma that he was feeling is gone. And all of a sudden we're giggling and laughing together and we can see the world smiling back at us. But it well, takes time. I've, I've had just a most joyous time with you today. Um, so how do I get a hold of you if I'm like a new fan? Hopefully we've got some mm. new fans here. How do we exactly. follow you in your world? What's what's your world look like? What's your digits? Exactly. So, you know, you can always go to 365give.ca. We are Canadian um, and you can find us there all about 365give. Um, you know, if we want to learn more about what we do, I've been blessed. I got to do a TED talk a few years ago. It's called how to be happy every day. It will change the world. Uh, we've had a few, few, how to be few, happy every day, folks, look it up. How to be TED happy talks. every day. It will, you can just even Google search how to be happy. It'll come up. Uh, it's that simple. Uh, I think we've had almost 7 million views at this point. Um, it'll give you a new perspective, you know, but you can find us there as well. Obviously our email and how you can reach out to us is there. You can find us on Instagram, 365Give. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on LinkedIn. And if you want to reach out to me personally, you can find me personally on Clubhouse and personally on LinkedIn. Personally on Clubhouse and personally on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And Instagram, 365Give. Jack Twitter, yeah, we're there. This oh. is long overdue. I'm so grateful we got to uh, so happy press one of these the sound together. buttons and see what it does. Yeah, what a great hear that one. <laughs> you didn't hear it. It was like a nice little close. Oh, that was good. I like it. Thank you, Gary. Thank you for thank having you so me. much. All the pleasure, your dear friend, and thank you for putting these conversations out to the world. And a friend once said to me, you know, I feel like Clubhouse, the conversations are all the same all the time. I said, but that's a good thing. Those are the repeated practices, the words we all need to hear. And if you and I have touched one person today and yeah. given them a new perspective and a possibility of looking into experiencing life from a new lens, then that's all I'm here to do today. And I feel blessed and I'm honored I've done it with you. So thank you, my friend. Well, thank you. So Namaste. Much. Namaste. So. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to Garland Pepper Presents. Uh, today, our guest, Jacqueline Way from 365 Give. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. And uh, please come on back. And uh, if you'd like to donate to the show, there's a, there's a donate thing. Um, you can do that if you want. Um, if, if, if you'd like to tell your friends about it so they just listen and enjoy, please do. There's over 180 shows. Um, and they really run the gamut from just pretty much Anybody in the world, everybody in the mm -hmm. world, I interview um, people from all walks of life. So I'm not looking for status. I'm looking for beautiful human beings. So mm -hmm. uh, that's what we have on Garland Pepper. And I, we get your story and then we get your passion. So that's how that works. Uh, love you. Love yourself. Love, you. love your others. And big hugs. Big hugs. <laughs> have a great day. Love yourself. Love your others. And we are out of here.